Welcome to the Devoted City Church podcast. Our mission is to help people find, trust, and follow Jesus. To learn more about our church, visit devotedcity.com. In today's episode, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Donnie Williams, or a member of our teaching team. watching people follow Christ in baptism next week in our Easter services. You have the opportunity to do that. And so if that's something you're interested in on the app, you can just reach out to us and let us know, and we'll be in contact with you this week. I want to welcome everybody here. We also have all of Carrie joining in. Welcome, Carrie, and everybody online for joining as you do every week. Welcome, um, Today, I'm remembering a day back in 1972 when I was six years old. And that was a big year for me because our town had a program for junior policemen. And I was like, I'm going to be a junior policeman. I want to keep my neighborhood safe. And so I went. They just didn't hand out this title. You had to go through a little bit of rigor to get the badge of junior police. So I went and did the work, and I got it. I was so proud of my junior policeman badge. I told my dad I was going to do something different for Memorial Day this year. Normally, what would happen, my dad was the marching band director in our town. And so the three kids, you know, our family and mom would walk with dad on the parade route. That's what we would normally do. But I went up to my dad and I said, I got a change of plans for this year, dad. This is a six-year-old telling him that. What's that, son? I'm not going to be marching with the band this year. I'm going to march with the police squad. I had not asked them at this point that I, if I could do this. But dad, uh, the marching band was right at the high school, right across the street there uh, from the parking lot was the police station. So I marched over to the police station. I asked for the chief of police and I, and I went in and I said, listen, I would like to march with the police this year. And he... he He was like, let's do it. This is actually me, 1972. (laughs) Look at the badge. I'm proud of it, going, junior police. I have my, uh, you know, suit jacket on. I'm walking down the parade, waving. People are going, who is this? (laughs) Who is this? I I later found out, uh, my dad told me, there was a lot of tension in the town that year between the police union, the police, and the town. So there was a buzz in the town, and it wasn't a good one. The town was stirring. So the chief of police welcomed this little smiling boy's face in the parade that year. It was a tough year in the town. Well, in our story today, there are people who are feeling you know, emotionally anxious. There's a stir in the town. And the people in this town will have to answer the question, who is this? It's a question that every one of us has to answer ourselves. And this is going to make sense as we journey through today's story. We're pausing our study uh, that we're calling uh, What Jesus Taught. We're pausing that for a couple weeks, and we're going to pick back up the study of the Sermon on the Mount in a few weeks. But as Dom said, today is Palm Sunday, and it's connected to Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so I want us to go on that journey today and look at that story. 
the, the event is actually recorded in all four of the Gospels. And so I've got the scripture references here. Write them down. Take a picture of it. Go read them over the next few days. Why do I say that? Because each author records different things. And so when you record them, when you read them all together, you get this very rich picture of this great event. And so I encourage you to do that uh, this week as we're heading into Easter. Jesus' triumphal entry begins what you and I know as Passion Week or Holy Week. And this is where we go on a journey of Jesus' last week of ministry. And we look at all of that right up to his crucifixion and resurrection. And there were all sorts of people that were going to be in Jerusalem that week. And they would come face to face with Jesus. Each of them is arriving with different things going on in their life. Each of them feeling different things. Some are hopeful. Some doubt Jesus, who they heard here. Some are angry. Some are confused. Some want to be there so Jesus can do for them what he did for others. But here's the thing. All of them will have to answer that question, who is this? And in a gathering like this, what was true on that day is actually true for us. I don't know your situation. I don't know what you walked in with, but I guarantee you that every one of us is carrying something different. Each of us is at different spots in our faith journey. And I don't know where that is. And some of you want Jesus to do something for you. I don't know what desires and expectations you have on God. But one thing I can say for all of us is that we all, like the people in Jerusalem, have to answer that question, who is this Jesus for me? So as we go on our journey today, I want you to insert your picture, like insert yourself into the journey. I want you to put yourself there. As I'm reading, observe what's going on. Look around at who is there. What are they saying? What are the questions asked? Listen to Jesus' words. Be praying. Help me to believe what you're saying and what the people who understood you. Help me to believe that. So let's jump in on our story today. I'm going to be in Matthew uh, for most of today. I'll pull in some detail from the other books. Uh, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, just stop, think where this is, it's up high. Bethphage is about two miles east of Jerusalem. Bethphage is about 2,600 feet elevation. To give you an understanding of what that is, I think we're at 313 here, Boone, 3,200 so that gives you a feel. Bethphage is, there's a downward slope into this holy city. And it said where they're at, you could see a scenic view of Jerusalem. So Jesus is about to descend into Jerusalem. And at this point, he's done a lot of ministry. But the ministry has been on the outskirts of Jerusalem. He's been all over the place. He has taught he has performed miracles. 
he even, just right before our account here, he raised a dead man to life. But with all of these, if you know scripture, he has always said, I'll paraphrase, don't tell anybody about this. <laughs> nope. The way he said it is, my time has not come, right? It isn't the right time. Well, things are going to change. For the very first time, Jesus' triumphal entry is when he is allowing things to go public in honor of him. And so he's okay with what's about to happen. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Jesus wants a donkey. All I can think about is this right here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know some of you are more scientifically minded. You're like, no, this is more of what we should be thinking about. There we go. We may think of donkeys as a lowly animal. In ancient times, it wasn't. The donkey was extremely valuable. Plowed fields, carried heavy loads, transported people rich and poor. It didn't matter. The donkey was very valuable to folks. So imagine the disciples. Jesus says, hey, go get somebody else's donkey and bring it back here. I'm wondering, how did they feel about that? That's like me asking you, hey, I saw a model, a Tesla Model X out there. Would you mind, uh, go get it, tell the owner, Rob just needs it for a little while. He'll send it back shortly. Yeah, like this is extremely valuable. I don't know if they were apprehensive. We, we don't read that in scripture here. They had to have a lot of why questions swirling around in their head. Like, why do we have to go get the donkey? Jesus, we just saw you raise a dead man to life. Can't you snap your fingers, say a few magical words, and a donkey appears? Right? That would be great, and it would be bonus for me because I don't have to go on a long walk to get the donkey. Why do we have to go get the donkey? Maybe another question that was swirling around was, why a donkey? Not because of what you and I think, oh, that's a lowly animal. Why, why would Jesus be riding on a donkey? The disciples and people of the ancient times knew that a donkey and a horse were, was fit for royalty. Royalty used donkeys and horses. It was common for a king to roll into town after a war and being victorious, and there's big pomp and circumstance and fanfare. They would ride in on a horse symbolizing victory. And the disciples, I'm wondering, they had to have that, a question going, why a donkey? Because you're the king that's coming in and you're going to overthrow the Roman government. Victory! You should be coming in on a horse. Why a donkey? Well, Matthew answers the question, why a donkey? Let's look at uh, verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, which is just another name for Jerusalem, see... Your king comes to you, 
gentle, and riding on a donkey, and a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus, as I said, is taking this time to publicly declare that he is fulfilling prophecies made five to seven hundred years earlier. Why can, I, why can I say that? Because the words that I just read, the first part comes from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 62, verse 11. And then the latter part comes from the Old Testament prophet Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9. And so here's Jesus beginning this procession. He's on a parade and he is announcing, I am the one that Zechariah talked about. I'm the one who he said is righteous and has salvation. And I'm coming in. I'm the one that people had long waited for. I told you that he was going to go public. It's about to go, in our terms, viral. Watch what goes on. Now, the disciples, like I said, we don't know if they were apprehensive. We don't know any of the questions that they had. But here's what I know. They were obedient to Jesus' task to go get that donkey. And they came back with the donkey, and then Matthew says, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut palm branches. Cut branches. The Gospel of John says palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Just picture a massive crowd where people keep joining the procession and they're making their way to the holy city. Why? Because they are celebrating Passover. It's one of the holiest, biggest feasts of all time. It, the population was said to, to triple during Passover. I was thinking about how, for, how we could grasp what this is like. All I could think of was think of New York City during Christmas time as we're approaching New Year's Eve, right? Everybody from all over the world wants to be there in Times Square to celebrate during this time. People are there to celebrate, but at the very same time, the, what, the city is on alert. Well, that very same thing is happening here in Jerusalem. Those, the Jewish people were there to celebrate, but the city, which was Roman-occupied, the Romans allowed the Jewish people to live there. And think about it. It swells up, triples in population, all of a sudden, the Roman military are thinking, what if they band up together and overthrow the Roman government? They are on high alert as people are also celebrating. And the people are giving them cause for concern because they're doing things. They're spreading the cloaks. They're putting palm branches down. These were actions that were taken for a king. So the Roman military is looking at this and going, we should be concerned. They're, they're cheering on this king and not who, not us. So they're on high alert. But I also believe that they were laughing and ridiculing the people on that parade route that day. Why? Because the, the, Roman, the Romans had their own official triumphal entry for a general or a king. They had an official triumphal entry. Any general who went and completely annihilated an enemy 
would make a procession into town in a golden chariot riding into town with the spoils of war behind them, prisoners. Who was pulling the chariot? A donkey? No, a horse. And then the priests were waving the incense in honor of the general, and people were shouting the general's name. And so you got to believe the, the Roman military on the horses galloping around the parade route, looking at people and just laughing and going, this is nothing like a triumphal entry. That man's on a donkey, not a horse. Here in Rome, we have an official triumphal entry and it looks nothing like this. Can't you picture him scoffing at the crowds, both heightened and alert but also ridiculing those that were there. But Matthew tells us there were people there that felt otherwise. Let's look at what they said. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the, high, uh, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I love how Matthew talks about there's people ahead so you think of the prayer, people ahead, Jesus, and people behind. And what are they doing? They are declaring Jesus as king. They're laying the cloaks fit for a king, laying the palm branches fit for a king. And then they say the words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which was understood to mean the coming one, the Messiah. So they're saying, he's here. And what's interesting to me is they use words that are taken from Psalm 118. Write that down. Go look at Psalm 118 later. They are saying those words said in the Old Testament, I'm applying to Jesus who is right here in front of me. And what's interesting is Jesus in just a few days is going to quote Psalm 118 and apply it to himself saying, yeah, I'm that one. The onlookers and Jesus himself is saying, I am the Messiah, the coming one. And as Jesus made his way to Jerusalem, people were joining in on that parade. The magnitude of people and the celebration, it caught the city's attention as they got close to Jerusalem. Matthew says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the holy city was stirred and asked, who is this? People were interested. Just think about the buzz. I, I, maybe it's because I walked in parade routes. I'm just thinking as the bands came, the crowd would start to cheer more. That's what's happening here, except magnitudes more. People were joining in. And as they were coming, Matthew says they were stirred. The original word, like we read stirred, we go, oh, wow. It means something in them moved them emotionally to want to respond. They said, who is, who is this? And that's such a great question. It's one that I said, you and I have to answer this question. Who is Jesus to me? There were so many people in that parade route, the different faces, each coming face to face with Jesus and every one of them having a different response to who he is. We've got a large crowd here assembled today. Like I said, 
Carrie's got a large crowd over there online. And everybody here in North Raleigh, and in so many ways, we are very similar to the crowd and the faces on that parade route that day. Culturally, we come from different places. Each of us has different things going on right now. Spiritually, we're at different spots. We are here at worship. To what? Worship Jesus. Jesus is front and center. We are coming face to face with Jesus. And like the crowd that day, each of us has different responses for who is Jesus to me. For some, it's, I, I, I don't see a need for Jesus. For others, I don't see Jesus as God because it's not what I picture a good God would look like. Some would say Jesus is somebody who gives me what I want. Others are saying, well, Jesus doesn't care for me because he's not giving me what I want. Or Jesus is getting in the way of what I want. Or Jesus is threatening what I have. And I don't like that. And then there's some that are saying, but my Jesus is my everything. You see, some people that day caught who Jesus was proclaiming he said he is. And they celebrated because they see the king. But we also read in the accounts, it says, for some got it, others didn't at all. They rejected it and missed it. And then others, they caught a little bit of who Jesus is and it wasn't until after his death and resurrection where they were able to put together the pieces. But it's the people who missed it and rejected it that uh, affected Jesus deeply. I mean like really deeply. Luke adds this detail. Let me read it for you. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus, the creator of the universe, is weeping as he looks on. Why? It wasn't because the donkey was going too fast downhill for his liking. No. Luke tells us why. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. Jesus is approaching this town. If you remember at the beginning of Matthew, when Jesus is born, the angels say, peace on earth. The prince of peace is approaching the holy city. Jerusalem means city of peace, foundation of peace. And Jesus is crying because he's saying they don't know what will bring them true peace. He's weeping for them because the city of peace does not know the giver of peace who's right before them. As a six-year-old, maybe my smiling face would make others smile in my town and relieve the tension. Maybe my little wave-handing and a, and a smile would help people have a sense of hope that the town could unite. Maybe, 
But here's what I can say, that Jesus rolling into town, Jesus can truly unite. Jesus does bring peace. Jesus is our living hope. He can do that. And he desires that for you. I hope that when you read this passage here where he wept, that you understand the Lord's heart for you and for me. He desperately desires that you and I view and receive him as the king who brings true peace and salvation. That's what he wants. This week around the world, Christians are going to remember and celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And folks, when we stare at that cross, that ought to remind you of his love for you. To those who received him as king and asked for him to be their savior, he left us a very important element of worship. It's called communion. And we take it every week here at LifePoint. We're going to take it in just a moment together. And so if you're here in North Raleigh, you don't have it, ushers will come down, signal to them that you need it. And Carrie, the communion is in the back of the room on the tables and online. Go ahead right now, run, get your bread and your juice. We'll just take it in just a moment. But here's the thing with communion. It takes us right back to what they were celebrating in Jerusalem that week, Passover. Passover for the Jews of that time and the Jewish people today was and is filled with symbolism. It takes them back. The Passover meal takes them back to when they were enslaved in Egypt. They weren't free. God's people were enslaved to Egypt. And God called through a series of plagues, nine plagues, calling Pharaoh, let my people go, let them free. And Pharaoh didn't do it. And then God sent the 10th plague, the angel of death, to kill the firstborn of all in Egypt. But God gave special instruction to his people, the Israelites, and said, go find a lamb without defect. Sacrifice that lamb and take the blood and put it on the doorpost so that when death comes over, it will pass over that home and the people in there would live. For Christians, Jesus became our lamb without defect. He took upon our sin so that we could receive life, that death would overpass us, pass over us, and we who believe in him would have eternal life. Those who receive the salvation of Jesus, he pays the penalty for our sin it's been put on him. It's been passed over us and we get eternal life with God. The apostle Paul in Romans 5 reminds us that it's through the work of the cross and faith in him that we can have peace with God. Do you have peace with God? Do you know that peace? Because you can definitively. Our staff's heart, the leaders 
volunteer leaders here, their heart beats for you to come to know the giver of peace. They want to introduce you to Jesus Christ. And so if you're here at North Raleigh, find Dom, Pastor Dom, and he'll talk to you. Carrie, find Pastor Neil online. Fill out the Connect card. We will be in touch with you this week. Go to the Next Steps tables. We want to help you find the giver of peace. I just encourage you to do that. Let's take a moment today to remember what Jesus did to make us right with God. The night before he was crucified, during the Passover meal, he took bread. So if you go ahead and take the communion packet, get to the bread. Jesus gave thanks. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take. Go ahead and pull back to the next layer, getting to the juice. Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. Take. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Today we raise that question, who is Jesus to me? And I pray that you would help each one of us answer that rightly. I pray for those who know you already. You are our Savior, but yet we have allowed who you are to be shaped by our experiences and what's going on, and we've lost sight of the truth about who you are. Would you remind us of that? I pray also for the folks that are listening and watching here in the room that do not know you, that that unsettled feeling, that that would come to resolution. Help them not to lose that, like just toss it aside, but to entertain that, engage with it. Because what I know is you, they will meet you right there as their heart is leaning in towards you and they will find the prince, the giver of peace. And it's our prayer that they choose you as their Lord and Savior. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Devoted City Church podcast. If you liked today's episode, rate us and subscribe so others can be encouraged too. We invite you to join us on a weekend at one of our locations or online at devotedcity.com.